My guess is that all of us at some point in our lives were probably at least a little bit scared of the dark. There was a case of a young boy who was asked by his mother one late one evening, she said, I need to clean the house, and so I want you to go out onto the porch and bring in the broom. The only problem with that is it was pitch black outside. This so little boy was terrified. He began crying. I don't want to go out there. I don't want to get the broom. I'm scared of the dark. I don't know what's out there. Please don't make me get the broom. And so his mom did what moms do. She assured him. She comforted him. She said, hey, Jesus is out there. He'll look after you and protect you. And so confused about the statement, the little boy said, is Jesus really out there? Or is that just something that you're saying? And she insisted that he was. She said, Jesus is everywhere and always ready to help you when you need him. Skeptical about her answer, uh, the boy hesitated for a while and then finally realized that uh, he was going to have to go out and obey his mother and get the broom. And so he walked towards the back uh, door and peered out and it was pitch black. And so he cracked the door open, stuck his mouth up to the little hole in the door and said, Jesus, are you out there? If you are, can you hand me the broom? Shut the door. Now, we've all experienced that, right? Uh, we can laugh at that story, but here's what we also can relate to, that debilitating fear, worry, or anxiety is no laughing matter at all. But here's the good news this morning. There is hope for an anxious heart. So this morning's we're kicking off a brand new series titled Hope. I could not be more excited. Here's why. When you look around the world and survey the cultural landscape, there seems to be an epidemic shortage of hope out in our culture. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how the Word of God and the work of Christ provide help and hope for some of life's most common struggles that we have been battling. And today, uh, we're going to talk about anxiety and his two best friends, fear and worry. Now, it'd be impossible for me to cover all that's been written or talked about on these subjects from a Christian perspective. Uh, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of articles, books, and blogs that have been written on this. Uh, just this past week, I even bought two new books that came out on the subject uh, of anxiety. So, so here's what I want to accomplish today. Now, I want to give you some basic truths or principles, to kind of some hooks to hang everything on when it comes to this uh, subject. And I want you to be familiar with what I believe are the three key passages when it comes to understanding and meditating on uh, fear, worry, and anxiety. So I want you to write down these addresses so you'll know where they are so you can turn to them in a time of battling these things. Or you can disciple someone else and we'll walk through one of them. So I want you to write down Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Uh, I want you to write down 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, and then uh, the passage we're going to be in today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through verse 34. I believe these are the three premier passages in the New Testament that deal with the subject of worry, fear, and anxiety. And as you're turning there, your Bibles or devices, uh, let me offer what I believe is a complementary truth or kind of a foundational truth to understand uh, when we tackle the topic of anxiety from a biblical worldview. Uh, the Bible speaks about the nature of man, so it's a biblical anthropology, the nature of man uh, as being twofold. It's called dichotomy. Uh, it, it talks about the outer man, which is the physical, material part of us. Then it talks about the, the inner man, which is the immaterial part of you. If you're a geek out over big words, uh, that's called psychosomatic. 
Okay? The body and soul union uh, in the nature of man. And, and the reason that's important to understand on this particular topic, uh, anxiety, fear, and worry, uh, is it helps us have a biblical framework to understand that when something is affecting us in the outer man, in the physiological arena, it has the ability to impact uh, what's going on in the inner man, because we're psychosomatic, we're uh, embodied souls. We're not just bodies, we're not just souls, we're embodied souls, body and uh, soul. And then the, also, the opposite is true as well. That when something's impacting us in the inner man, some kind of fear, worry, anxiety that's going on in the inner man, that can show up in real outer man tangible uh, symptoms. And so often, it's hard to diagnose the root of anxiety in particular. Is it something in the inner man? Is it something uh, in the outer man? But here's why the body and soul connection is important to understand. No matter the origin of anxiety, it could have an impact on uh, both of those realities. Uh, let me give you an example. An inner man issue where you've been battling discouragement for a long, prolonged period of time, that can show up in real outer man symptoms like a Loss of appetite, which I've never had, <laughs> or uh, sleeplessness. I've experienced some of that, right? So if you've got uh, inner man anxiety going on, guess what? It'll show up in the outer man in those kind of symptoms, real tangible symptoms. And the uh, opposite is true as well. If you've got some kind of uh, outer man diagnosis, some kind of autoimmune disease or something like that, and it's prolonged and, and you're having difficulties in the outer man, guess what can happen? You can get really discouraged and down in the inner man. So, so whatever's going on in the outer man affects the inner man and vice versa because of that truth that we are body and soul is what Scripture uh, teaches. And so, but here's why I want to share that with you. No matter the source of the origin of anxiety or sinful fear or worry, uh, Scripture should serve as a uh, hope and encouragement no matter which you're battling. Meditating on these truths could be the freedom from anxiety in the inner man for you, or it may be a helpful addition to meditate on uh, alongside the good gift of modern medicine. And so with that framework in mind, uh, so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 down through verse 35 this morning. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, which by the way, just circle underline how many times the word anxious is used in this passage. Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. So sufficient for the day is its own uh, trouble. And so even though there's a little nuance between fear, worry, anxiety, when you tease those things out, uh, we're going to use those terms interchangeably today because they often have the same root or origin uh, source this morning. So you ever been to church and um, 
He walked out and he said, man, that was really deep today. What that is, that's a spiritual way of saying, I have no idea what he was talking about, right? So listen, my goal in teaching through this often muddy uh, subject today is for you to walk out and say, that wasn't deep at all. I want you to walk out and say that was clear, that was simple, because when it's clear and simple, you can grab a hold of it, you can apply and experience transformation through application on clear teaching. So, so super simple outline, I just kind of walk through three uh, statements or questions here today, that, uh, really, really simple and practical. The first one uh, is this, is anxiety or fear a sin? Here's what we can conclude before we even dig into that, uh, it, it's, uh, it's common It's absolutely common. Uh, Warren Wearsby said this, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries. Currently over 40 million Americans take some type of uh, prescription for anxiety, which is not sinful, uh, by the way, to avail yourself to the gift of modern medicine. Uh, Also the rise uh, in anxiety in teens has increased every single year exponentially uh, for over a decade now, and uh, shocker, What research has discovered is that often the uh, correlation between social media and teen anxiety is directly connected. Who'd have thunk it, right? And so clearly this is something that's going on and so many people are battling issues of fear, worry, and anxiety. So I think the first question uh, is to wrestle with this. Is this a sin issue? Is it just a physiological thing? Is this a sin uh, issue? And so I want to be as clear as I possibly can in answering that, right? So if you're listening, say amen. Amen. The clear answer is this, maybe, (laughs) right? Was that, was that helpful for you? (laughs) We just go home now. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. When you think of this issue, uh, I want you to think of it kind of on a continuum uh, or of a uh, spectrum. And and not recognizing that continuum of spectrum is where so much poor teaching actually happens uh, on this uh, issue. For some, they would would never diagnose uh, anxiety as a sin issue. They would always chalk it up to human frailties. It's a physiological issue. It's an issue of mental health. It has nothing to do uh, with your spiritual health. Uh, But for others, uh, any any form of worry, fear, anxiety is always a sin issue. It's never physiological. It's always a sin issue. It's always never an issue about suffering in the outer man. It's always a sinful inner man uh, kind of issue. So those are the two extremes. Now, uh, for those folks who would teach that any form of fear, worry, or anxiety is sin, uh, let me just uh, lean right into that this morning. I remember this often uh, during the pandemic. Are you guys aware that we had a pandemic? Are you... Just live, walk through that, right? This is the greatest time to be a church leader, by the way, because no matter what you did, you were wrong. I just want to share that in hindsight, right? And, and during that time, I often uh, saw this phrase at the height of the pandemic. Uh, I would see this uh, phrase out there on social media, and the phrase was this, if it's fear, it's not from God. If it's fear, it's not from God. And, and let me just, I want everybody to look up here, right? That's wrong. That's unbiblical. That's bad theology. That God has ordained and hardwired us and expects us to experience fear in certain arenas. And so let me just uh, show you in scripture uh, sometimes where fear is appropriate. So there's a continuum. It's not always sinful. Matter of fact, there's times it's appropriate uh, and even uh, expected. So let me highlight two of those areas. One, uh, fear promotes a healthy respect for danger. God has placed within us for our protection a capability to fear that which has the potential to harm us. 
fear's appropriate goal is self-preservation. Uh, Let me give an illustration. If you uh, woke up tomorrow, and I hope this doesn't happen to anyone, but if you woke up tomorrow and opened up your front door, and on your front porch was a roaring lion, and you walked out there and said, faith over fear, I'm walking out, and I'm going to hug that beast, right? You know what the lion's going to do? It's going to eat you uh, for dinner and your faith for dessert is what's going to happen, right? Uh, that's not an exercise in great faith. That's an exercise in low intelligence. Just write that down in case that happens, all right, so that you're equipped. Why? Because God's wired us uh, to have a, an appropriate fear that leads to self-preservation. Uh, uh, think about this. Does anybody ever tell their kids when they're going out to play, hey, when you're out playing today, if you see a windowless white van that says free candy and puppies on the side, don't be afraid. Walk towards the van. Does anybody say that? And if you do, you shouldn't have kids. I just want to acknowledge that, all right? No, what do we tell them? Stranger danger. Be aware of your surroundings. Uh, understand that not everybody in the world has good intentions. Uh, why? Because that's an act of self-preservation that God has wired us uh, that way. In Psalm 64.1, listen to uh, what David writes here. He says, oh God, listen to my complaint. Protect my life from my enemy's threats. Why is he praying protect my life? Why is he crying out to God for that? Because he has a, a healthy, appropriate fear of his enemies in an act that God has hardwired him to be afraid of his enemies. Matter of fact, that's the thing that uh, uses to seek refuge in God, to turn to God for his uh, provision. Uh, in, in the book of Job, if you remember the book of Job, uh, there's asking questions all the time. You know, like, Job, why are you questioning me? Why are you questioning me? And then at some point in time, God responds and says, hey, Job, you know how you're appropriately afraid of the Levithian, which is a great creature, sea creature? Uh, you know how you're appropriately afraid of that? That I've hardwired you to fear that beast and not run up and try and ride its back or hug it or those kind of things? He says, then so much more of that appropriate fear, you should be afraid of the God who created that creature. And so we see this uh, in Scripture uh, over and over, that this is an appropriate, God-ordained, God-hardwired type of fear that is not sinful. And the second area that uh, fear is not sinful is fear uh, results in reverence for God. The Bible speaks often in the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms about the, the fear of God. Now, I want you to understand what the fear of God is. The fear of God is to love him so intensely that I fear doing anything that might grieve him. So that's a good and godly form of fear. One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Find a person who has no healthy fear of disappointing God, and I'll show you the foundation of a foolish life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The starting point is to live with a godly, reverent fear of disappointing the Lord if you want to lead a life of wisdom. And so uh, we see this all throughout Scripture, uh, the idea that there are types of fear that are God-ordained, hardwired, and biblically uh, appropriate. So the, so the idea that all fear is not from God is not a biblically faithful um, idea. And so, so on the left of the spectrum, there's appropriate concern, 
Like we worry about people because we care about them, we love them, so that's certainly not a fearful thing. There's a godly fear that, that leads to reverence. There's a, a fear that God is hardwired for self-protection and preservation. None of those things are sinful things, but then over on this end of that spectrum, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, fear in its sinful form uh, becomes what we call, and I want you to understand and know this phrase, a ruling desire. That it dominates my life. That, that's when it goes into sin, go, moves from appropriate concern, fear of God, uh, into this ruling desire, controls my life, governs every decision I make, every relationship, uh, every encounter. That's when it becomes sinful fear, uh, worry, or uh, anxiety. And so, uh, this idea, uh, fear of anxiety, uh, is uh, sinful, uh, not always a biblical idea until it becomes a ruling desire. Now, let me just highlight for you. Couple places that often that sinful fear, when it comes to ruling desire, uh, creeps up into our lives, and maybe some of these are familiar. Number one uh, is the fear of man. And the fear of man is when this ruling desire of pleasing other people, of not wanting other people to dis be disappointed in you, of, of, of people pleasing or uh, approval, acceptance, all those kind of things, that, that begins to become a ruling desire and it drives our behavior, our decisions, and our relationships. And we can get to the point where we're more afraid of disappointing people than we are disobeying the Lord. John chapter 12, fascinating passage. It says that many of the chief rulers actually believed in Jesus, but in John chapter 12, they were afraid to speak up about their belief in Jesus because they were afraid of the Pharisees, that the Pharisees would push them out of their positions of influence in the synagogue. So, so they kept their mouths shut, so literally we can make the argument that the fear of man actually was a catalyst to the crucifixion of Jesus because they didn't speak up. Proverbs 29, 25, probably the best passage in the whole Bible on the fear of man uh, says this, the fear of man is a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord uh, is safe. Safe from what? Safe from disappointing the Lord so that you can please other people. Safe from compromising your convictions so that you don't disappoint other people. So that's a common fear. It can be sinful. It can rule our lives as the fear of man. Let me, let me highlight another one. Uh, any fear that hinders us from fulfilling God-given responsibilities. In the parable of the talents, if you're familiar with that passage, the parable of the talents, he gives some talents out to people. He says, hey, go and invest these, multiply these so that you can use these for, for your good and my glory. And, and so the guys, they go out and do that. In the parable of the talents, they go out and they multiply these talents. They invest and they multiply them so they have more to use for, for God's glory and, and their own good. Except there's one person there who gets a talent uh, and he's operating uh, not uh, out of an abundance that our God uh, owns a cat on a thousand hills. He's a God of abundance. He's operating from a scarcity mentality. What, what if I lose this? What if I invest or try to multiply? And instead of multiplying, what if I actually experience a loss? And so scripture says he goes and buries his talent because here's his thought process. Hey, I may not be obeying God in the command to multiply, but at the very least, I'm not going to lose it. And so fear of losing causes him to disobey God to the point where scripture looks at that one who buried their talent out of fear and calls them a wicked and lazy servant. Fear can become so strong that fear of your child not liking you can cause you to disobey the command to discipline them. 
The fear of being hurt again can cause you to disobey the command of forgiving someone. The fear of doing without can cause you to disobey the command to give generously into uh, gospel work. Even Jesus experienced the tension uh, of the anxiety of, of obeying the Lord. Listen, Jesus was never tempted from within. He had no sin nature, but he did experience temptation from without. And so, so many times we talk about anxiety, people say, well, I don't, I don't have anxiety about filling the blank. I've, uh, God's given me a peace about that. Let me just, uh, we've taught this before. Inner peace is not the determining factor of the will of God. Let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Was Jesus Christ ever outside the will of God? The answer is what? No. But yet we see in the garden of Gethsemane, scripture says he's sweating drops of blood, which is a literal medical condition called hematidrosis, where the anxiety was so great that the capillaries in the skin on his face burst open, so his sweat and tears were mingled or tinged with blood. I would not call that inner peace. I would call that extreme anxiety. And so there was temptation from the outside of I'm battling this fear and anxiety. But at the end of the day, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, like, hey, if someone else can fill in, I'm cool with that. That's what he's saying, right? Right? Can you call up someone from the bullpen, right? What about Judas? Bring him in. No one likes him anyway, right? But what's he say? That fear doesn't get the best of him to the point he doesn't obey. He says, Father, not my will, but yours. And so, so fear can be, can be sinful, can be appropriate, can be a God-ordained thing, can be a God-honoring thing uh, in there. And so the second question I want to walk through is this. Uh, what is anxiety and fear? But when I understand this from a biblical framework, because listen, there's all kinds of counsel uh, from culture. There's all kinds of counsel from a non-biblical world. This is, well, fear is this, and anxiety is this, and this is the root of it, and this is how you treat it, and this is, you know, all those kind of things. So what does the Scripture teach from a biblical uh, framework uh, when it becomes this uh, idea of a ruling desire uh, in our lives. And here's why you need to understand this. If you're listening, say amen. amen. We obey that which we fear. We obey that which we fear. And out of control, fear or anxiety will cause us to obey what we're afraid of instead of obeying the Lord. So we need to understand biblically so that we don't fall into that uh, temptation. So sinful fear of anxiety, uh, first off, is a form of unbelief. Let's jump back into the base passage here in Matthew chapter 6. And, and what we see clearly is, is uh, sinful fears being held up as a form of unbelief uh, in the context of this passage uh, Jesus is talking to people who were experiencing all kinds of fear about normal everyday life. Verse 25 starts off with therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you should ask a simple question. What's it there for? The reason it's therefore is because in verses 19 through 24, it's describing all this fear and anxiety like, well, how are we going to eat? How, how are we going to clothe ourselves? How, how are we going to take care of ourselves? Our, listen, the Jewish families we left, they've ostracized us. They don't understand this new thing called Christianity. The Romans are persecuting us. And so we're, just, we're not worried about extravagant things. We're just worried about everyday life. And so Jesus begins to speak uh, into that. And in his response, he, he points out that the root of sinful worry is actually uh, unbelief. What you're saying is, I cannot believe God to the point of trusting him. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? You see, worry strikes a blow not only at the word of God, but at the character of God. When a person gives in to sinful, ruling desire kind of worry, uh, basically what they're saying is, I I can't trust God to the point of resting in his character. I can't trust God to the point where I can rest in his provision. And so ultimately, worry is a form of unbelief. And we've taught this so many times, but I want you to learn this. We do what we do because our heart wants what it wants because we believe what we believe. We do what we do because our heart wants what it wants because we believe what we believe. And if I believe that God is not good and faithful and trustworthy, then what I want is less anxiety, more peace, more control, fill in the blank. And so what I do is I freak out because I do what I do because I want what I want, because I believe what I believe. And what I believe is incorrect about the character of God. I want wrong things and wrong outcomes show up in my life. And so Jesus says, hey, right off the bat, right off the bat, uh, when, when you say, hey, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna close? He says, look at the birds. He says, do you not believe that your father is good and faithful, is a faithful God who loves to give good gifts to his children, is what the scripture says. Do you not believe that he's aware and is going to care for you? And basically with their actions of freaking out, what they're saying is, actually, no, I don't believe that. And so worry is a blow at the character of God. It's a form of unbelief. And we substitute despair and hopelessness and and fear in place of the belief that we have a father who's faithful and who's for us and who loves us more than the birds of the air. Now, if all of these statements are true, and they are, isn't debilitating fear and anxiety not, not really a, a response to our circumstances, but ultimately it reflects our, reflects our true belief about the character of God? Now, you see, I'm not, I'm not totally convinced. Go down to verse 32. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, provision, security, fill in the blank. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. The word Gentile can also be translated as pagan or heathen, and it literally means people without God or Christ. The pagans were dominated by the fear and anxiety. They they were always trying to please these gods who were angry, and so there's just all this anxiety. Oh, if we don't have our daily needs, maybe our gods are angry at us. They're anxious about that. They also operated that their gods was not not the God of eternal. Our God never sleeps. We teach that he works in the night shift. Uh, Their gods fell asleep. And so in their time of need, they were wondering, what if our gods would sleep? Matter of fact, uh, that's why they would knock on wood, knock on wood. Did you know that's the origin of that, that you're waking up uh, some kind of pagan god? So listen, so the next time someone tells you, hey, you should knock on wood, right? You know what you can say? You can say, I would, but I don't worship the devil like you do, right? (laughs) So it is a form of unbelief that the character of God cannot be trusted to the point of resting in his character. And when I can't rest in his character, then what I do, I freak out. It becomes a ruling desire in my life. The second thing this passage teaches is not only is it a form of unbelief, it's also uh, unproductive. Verse 27, verse 26 and verse 32, he says, hey, here's what you really believe about God if you're 
life is dominated by fear, worry, and anxiety. You don't believe he cares for you. You don't believe he's going to act or provide. And then verse 27 uh, comes at it from the other approach and says, and, and by the way, practically, it doesn't even work. Look at verse 27. Which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Some translations can say, uh, say, read this way. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his stature? A cubit was a unit of measure in their day. It went from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger, about 18 inches. So, so basically, no matter which way your translation reads, is what he's saying is, hey, you can worry and stress out about something all you want. Guess what? It's not going to make you uh, an inch taller. You can worry and stress out and be dominated by fear and anxiety. And guess what? It's not going to add a single day to your life. Matter of fact, it's probably going to shorten your life from all the stress that you're doing. So what's the point he's getting at? What he's getting at is saying, hey, no matter how much you worry or fear or anxiety about whatever it is, it's not going to make a single practical, tangible difference in your life. It's unproductive. It doesn't change anything. Not only one worry can do nothing but bad, it absolutely is no benefit. It's like a revving your car engine. You create a lot of noise, but you don't uh, go anywhere. Worry cannot change the past. It can't control the future. It makes us uh, only miserable today. How many of you love Cracker Barrel? Would you just raise your hand? If your hand's not raised, you're not going to heaven. I just want to share that in love. I love me some Cracker Barrel. Amen? Hash brown casserole in the Greek literally means gift of God. Write that down. Sir, would you like some Coca-Cola chocolate cake at the end? Yes, please. I would. Can you put gravy on that? Yes, we can. <laughs> but you got Cracker Barrel, and like when I get, I'm, I want to go eat because I love the food there, right? And you just see people out there rocking. I'm like, what are you doing? There's hash brown casserole inside. You know what's inside of here? Manna from heaven is inside. Get inside. Just rocking, rocking, rocking. You know what that's like? Just rocking. That's what worry's like. Can you imagine if you sat out there all day in front of Cracker Barrel and for 12 hours furiously rocked back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Guess what? At the end of the day, you're extremely tired because you put all that exertion into moving that rocker back and forth, back and forth. And guess what? Where you started the day is the exact same place you ended the day. You didn't move a single inch. That's exactly how worry works. So he's saying in verse 27, it's unproductive. A lot of energy expended, nothing actually changes. But the third thing I want you to see is that worry is often uh, an idol. And here's where we would part ways with those who teach uh, that anxiety is always physiological in root or origin or in uh, treatment. Uh, so we are body and soul, right? We're body and soul. And uh, if we don't understand that, then, then what we'll do is we'll spend all of our energies uh, trying to manage symptoms instead of tackling the root issues that are driving our behavior. We'll, we'll be like the dentist. You go in and need a root canal, and every time you come in because you're in so much pain, he just gives you Novocaine and says, hey, see you later. And so true change and true freedom from anxiety and fear starts often in the heart, not in the head, not always, but often in the heart, uh, not in the head. And yes, it will show up in real, physical, tangible, outer man symptoms because we are body and soul, psychosomatic. And so, so what are the root common idols that we're battling in the inner man that show up in outer man fear, worry, and anxiety? Let me just highlight two this morning. Uh, number one is the idol of peace. You ever come home and your house is wild? I've been guilty of this lately. Like people going crazy at home. You're just like, I just want some peace around here. Right? 
What you're saying is if I don't get peace, that desire for peace has grown to a demand, and whoever doesn't meet my demand, I'm going to punish them. Why? Because the idol of peace has taken root in my heart. Sometimes in the battle of anxiety, what's happening is a person has an idol of peace, and anyone or anything that threatens that peaceful circumstance they desperately have to have, that creates lots of anxiety because, oh no, here comes fill in the blank, or oh no, this is going to happen, and I'm going to lose peace. And I have to have it. And so that's an idol to repent of. But I believe the more common idol when it comes to anxiety is the idol of control. That I have to engineer certain outcomes and achieve certain means and execute a certain amount of justice in this situation, those kind of things. Because ultimately what you're saying again is a form of unbelief. I don't trust that God is just. I don't believe God when he says the wicked will not prosper. I don't believe God. Like, I don't, so I've got to take this circumstance into my hands and engineer an outcome. And when I feel like the outcome is outside of my ability to control it, all of a sudden, all kinds of anxiety begins to dominate my life. All kinds of fear becomes a ruling desire because what if, and this could, and what if they, and fill in the blank, and all these things, and all the root of that is an idol of control. When the Bible teaches God is sovereign and good and faithful and just. Now, if we just stop the sermon here, it'd be the equivalent of going to the doctor after hurting your leg and him holding up the x-ray and go, yep, broke your leg clean in half. Thanks for stopping by. All right? So here's the third question, and I'll hustle because we're going to run out of time. Uh, third question is this, uh, how do we battle it? Where is there help and hope? And, I, and I'm going to, pull quickly from all three base passages this morning, all right? So the ones I give you the front, I'm going to pull from all three. Uh, number one, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, that sounds cliche. As a matter of fact, when Jesus responds to their fear and anxiety, uh, it seems calloused. They're like, hey, what are we going to eat? What are we going to close? And Jesus said, hey, you need to be worried about heaven. Because if you worry about all these things, you're behaving like a pagan, like the Gentiles do, uh, verse 32. So it's against that backdrop. He says, don't behave like an unbeliever. Uh, and then look what he says in verse 33. Uh, he says this. He says, but, or here's a contrast, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these practical things you're worried about, all this provision it will be taken care of. I will provide. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, be, pursue Jesus and the kingdom of God and rest in the promise that all these practical provisions will be made available to you when you need them. That's what he's teaching. The bigger issue that Jesus is pressing into on a, on a heart level is that we should be careful the value that we give certain things because the more value those things have, uh, when the, the more fear and anxiety will rule and reign when those things may be taken away or may not be there. And so what's he saying? He's saying, hey, you know what you should do? Close the gap between you and Jesus so worry has no ability to creep in that gap and take root up in your hearts. Pursue the kingdom of God and rest in the promise that all these things will be provided for you. Pursue Jesus and trust God for his provision is what he's saying. Uh, the second thing is uh, from 1 Peter 5 is this, uh, cast all your cares upon him. 
First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do you practically transfer anxiety from your back onto God's back? The answer is trust that he cares for you. Believe that promise to the point that you're willing to live out of it. John Piper, regarding that verse, says, this promise does not hang in the air. It's connected to a command, and the promise is meant to show you how to obey the command. The command is, cast your anxiety on God. The promise is, God cares for you. What that means is he cares about the thing that has you worrying. He wants you to trust him with that. He cares about the thing you're worried about. He, what he says that he cares, it means he will not stand by and let things develop without his influence. It means he will act, he will work, not always in the way that you would, because he's God. Cast all your cares upon him is the command and the promises because he cares for you. Transfer your anxiety on the back of the God who cares for you. And here's the third thing. Pray right, think right, do right. Philippians 4, I'm just going to read through these verses. Pray right. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but, say battle anxiety, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hey, God, I have needs here. I want to transfer those on to you. And also in the midst of battling this anxiety about these needs, I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. Now I'm not going to focus on what I don't have, what you've not done, but what I do have and what you have done. Okay, so that's what he tells you to do, to pray right. And then here's the promise of that in verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts, that's the inner man, and your minds in Christ Jesus. So first off, pray right. Secondly is think right. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What's he saying? meditate on what you know to be true as opposed to worrying about what you're afraid might be true. Pray right, think right, and then lastly, do right. Verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, here it is, practice these things. Live out of obedience. And then here's the promise at the end, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's what he's saying. You can lay your head down at night because you obeyed God and trusted him with the outcome. Pray right, think right, do right. And the promise he closes with is the same one I want to close with today. And if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. But here's what I want you to understand. Peace is not a feeling. It is a person. Ephesians 2.14 says this. He, meaning Jesus, is our peace. That all the promises available to us that God makes in this area, all available are, are found, fulfilled in Jesus and seeking refuge in him. Because the Bible says all the promises of God find their yes in him. He really is our prince of peace. And if you don't know him today, I'd love you to meet him right now. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, do you have peace with God because you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins? Do you have peace with God because you believed in Jesus Christ alone, could forgive your sins, 
and reconcile you back to a holy God? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then right now, would you pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you confess your sins, express a desire to repent of them, and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? For those of you who have done that, who are followers of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this question. It's a scary one. Is there something in your life that by faith in the character of God that you need to transfer from your back onto God's back? Is there some worry, fear, and anxiety that you've been holding on to, trying to engineer an outcome, trying to fix it, trying to control it? And it's just time this morning, by faith in the character of God, not wishful thinking, but faith in the character of God, to cast all your anxieties upon him with the full conviction that he cares for you. If that's you this morning, would you, by faith, would you do that right now? Would you say, Lord, it's obvious that fear, worry, and anxiety has become a ruling desire in my life? And that's evidence that I've yet to fully and finally cast all my anxiety on you. So, Lord, by faith, I'm doing it today and resting in the promise that you care for me. Would you do that by faith today in the character of God? Lord, help us not to just preach about these things. Help us to live out of these truths. And the only reason that we can is because Christ died on our behalf and his grace is available not just to save us, not just to forgive us, but to empower us to obey. And Lord, this is an area that can get out of control and it's hard to obey. And so Lord, by the power of your grace this, this week, help us to live in the truth of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. Help us to pursue him, to seek his kingdom first with a full confidence that all life's provisions will be added to us by the character of a good and faithful God who loves to give good gifts to his children. May we live out of these truths we say we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.